listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 26 of Cinemental. Now this I can do. I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brain. I don't give a crap if you covered yourself in peanut butter and had a 15-hooker gangbang. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the movie podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Susan Godwin, and Lathan Conger III. Our guest tonight is one of the world's leading experts in story and narrative design. He works with IP holders to maximize the effectiveness of their brand narratives, develop vast new worlds, and design successful transmedia franchises, as well as working on such properties as Avatar, Pirates of the Caribbean, Halo, and Spider-Man, he has also written and or produced hit comic books, video games, and animated series, global ad campaigns, and immersive experiences for the likes of Magic the Gathering, Nintendo, Mattel, Coca-Cola, and Disney. And by day, he's the CEO of Starlight Runner, Jeff Gomez. Welcome again to Cinemental. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We had a little bit of a false start. We're at it again. It's wonderful uh, to be here. We, we, in the business, we like to refer to that as technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> Or operator error, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> you are technically difficult, Steve. That's very true. And on that note, uh, and again, to keep Jeff you know, even longer, because, of course, we are doing everything twice tonight, uh, let's jump right into news that gives us fits. Move! 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 Don't you hear me? Uh, so, Jeff... <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the trailer for Synchronic? I have now. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the new film from Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who are uh, well-known for their films, uh, The Endless, Spring, and Resolution. Uh, I've seen The Endless and Spring. I have not seen Resolution yet. Same here. The Endless is absolutely brilliant. Uh, it is, is a, it's not only, and it's sneak, it's one of those films that when you start watching it, it just seems like it's, it's doing one thing and then all of a sudden it just kind of sneaks up on you what is actually happening and you you just it's a, it's a, it's almost i don't want to say it's a completely different film it's it, it's similar in a much more subtle way to kind of from dust till dawn you watch from dust till dawn and you're like oh look at this great crime movie i'm watching and everything's great oh they're going to stop at this this tequila bar in in mexico okay uh, what? What just happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God! There's vampires! Right, oh my God! Now, now, Steve, don't set everyone up for for the end. The endless is wonderful, <laughs> but it's not a a giant special effects extravaganza. No, uh, that's uh, true. That's you know, very true. Um, uh, or a bad film like From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, oh wow! Boom. That's not right. Uh, what I do want to convey about the endless uh, that that I think is make does make it worth uh, uh, checking out. Uh, there are very few films that I've seen 
that pretend to Lovecraft uh, that that then actually kind of deliver on it or, or, yeah. or are truly evocative of Lovecraftian uh, fiction. And The Endless um, uh, actually kind of gets there in, in very subtle ways. Uh, uh, and, and that's why I like it. The, the, the issues of, of perception and um, orientation that the... Uh, the guys in the in the film are, are are trying to deal with are really it's really kind of fascinating. It's a slow burn, uh, uh, but it's uh, yeah. it's it's very very intriguing. These uh, these okay. two guys these two guys are are great film and they're they, beautifully they, photographed as as yes. looks uh, uh, the new film. It's incredible. Yeah, that that's the thing. They're they're incredibly talented, not only visually but also in in story in their story creation as well. Good. I'm glad we're uh, kind of all on the same page. It uh, it definitely looks it definitely looks good. So uh, Madonna has announced that uh, she is creating her own uh, biopic, directing herself, co-writing with Diablo Cody. Any any thoughts to that, guys? I'll watch it. I mean, <laughs> I you know she's one of my favorite musical artists, to be honest. So I don't you know as long as it's not some three hour narcissistic trip. Oh wait, that's exactly what it's going to be. So I don't know. <laughs> I'll I'll watch it. I'll I'll watch it. I mean, with Diablo Cody on board, I think that that your your likelihood of of getting too deep into that, I think she'll temper that somewhat. She's she's a, a talent a talented screenwriter. So very talented, and uh, and I, I'm hoping that that the script really uh, furnishes uh, an interesting structure. What I'd like from this movie that I'm not getting from these uh, rock star biopics is mm, the truth. <laughs> well, I don't know if you'll ever get that, but you know, right. something approximating the truth, perhaps, <laughs> um, uh, you know, New York at that time, I was there. I was in those clubs. I, I crossed paths with her and, and that was a pretty gritty time, you know, uh, and there was darkness uh, in, in the streets and in the clubs uh, and and what she had to do and how she pulled it off is really intriguing. It's it's not Lady Gaga had it easy. Uh, right. Madonna did Correct. not. Uh, and um, and I'd like to see you know a, a little more grit than usual in in my uh, rock star biopic. Uh, Diablo just might be able to pull it off. I agree. Really. But they, I mean, I think if they can water down. Uh... Freddie Mercury, then they can water down anybody, you know? It's either going to be probably the most intriguingly honest biography you've ever seen, or just a circus, like a narcissistic love fest, you know? So it's got to, it's really not going to fall somewhere in the middle. It's going to be either, either one of knowing Madonna, you know, knowing her personality, knowing her per public persona personality. It's either going to be the, probably one of the most intriguing and disturbing things that anybody's ever seen, or it's going to be like, you know, a, a, a self-aggrandizing love fest, you know? And I, I think I think it's probably going to uh, be the former, you know? I get the sense, yeah, Hassan, that, that there's, we, we may get something interesting uh, because uh, uh, I saw somewhere that, um, that the relationship with Basquiat uh, is is a part of the story. Uh, a oh part. wow! And cool. um, and uh, so she was contemporaries with uh, 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 Basquiat and Maplethorpe and and a number of these sure. other 
uh, yeah. incredibly edgy street artist, Keith Haring, and, and so forth. I really hope we see that New York and, and that Madonna as opposed to having it be a circus. Yeah, I would love to see it, you know, really focus on her, you know, from like her teens through the point at which she kind of becomes almost untouchable that first time around, because that's really her most interesting phase. Not that what she's done in years past that is is super boring or anything, but I think that that period of time is really the most is- interesting of her life. And I, and I, I don't want them to, to try and cover a span of years that is becomes kind of untenable. It's like too much to try and pack into a period of time. I'd rather have them stay super focused on a 10 or 15 year period than try and cover 50 years of her life. I don't, I don't, I don't need to see what she's been doing the last 10 years because it hasn't been much, you know? So just eliminate the guy, Richie bullshit. (laughs) I don't want to hear any about any of that. Okay. So that's, that's about the beginning of, 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 of kind of, I don't want to say her irrelevance, but of kind of like her move away, you know, she moved out of the U S and she kind of moved that began that next phase of her life. I, I don't think that that's a bad point to cut off really. You know? I want I want to see who gets cast to play Sean Penn just just to see who they pick. That that'll will that will be interesting. <laughs> they'll they'll de youth uh, they'll de uh, de age Sean Penn himself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't oh, think he's man. gonna want to go anywhere near. Oh that. no no no! That, <laughs> no we don't not, we don't need sixteen music videos strung together either. We either need something along the lines of what Rocket Man did, where it was in in you know in, it was uh, super stylized. Yeah, where it was infused into the story. That would be okay with me if you're going to present the songs like that. But I don't want her to, I don't want it to be like a, like, um, Truth or Dare is a decent documentary, but it's, I don't want that for the bio. You don't want a jukebox movie. Right, right, exactly. So, yeah. I think one of the most, I mean, to, to be honest, like one of the most disappointing, even though I really love the film, I loved, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody for what it was. Um, but that's mostly because of the fact that I grew up with that music, like, you know, like intensely. Probably the most insightful thing we got about Queen's music was when Deacon started playing his bass to stop an argument from happening. And that yeah. turned into uh, another one bites the dust. And it's like, that's as, that's as insightful as, I mean, a band that was that innovative musically. And the most we get about their process or about the inner workings of how they put, you know, how they compose most of their songs is a, is this like two second, like, it's almost in there like fan service. It's really like just kind of after you get over the, the novelty of the fact that you're, you're getting more information about the band than you, than you had before in certain aspects you you go back to it and you're like, man, I really wish there were other as- facets of the yeah. band that, that were highlighted, especially their music. I just can't believe that their music was like left on the cutting room floor, yeah. Yeah. if at all. If it was <laughs> Guys, even, if you ever you know? want to see a movie uh, that dramatized process and does it in an exquisite way, uh, Love and Mercy uh, about Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. Um, oh, and the recording uh, of, uh, yeah. uh, of those early hits, those Beach Boys hits and, and Pet Sounds, uh, truly oh, a, sounds. A remarkable how he, yeah. they actually show him processing how uh, to create 
uh, and it makes you appreciate how rich and deep that music really was. Uh, it's it's well worth uh, checking out with uh, uh, Paul Dano. Another uh, right, right. Another good one is uh, Backbeat, okay. the one that they did about the Beatles, kind of before they became big, when they when uh, what's his face was still there. Yeah, the old before, the old drummer, uh, Stuart, <laughs> uh, whatever. Before right. he made the biggest mistake of his life. <laughs> <laughs> of quite possibly any band member's life yeah. ever. And Those so, fans going nowhere. And my last, my last, yeah, well, these guys aren't doing anything. I'm, 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 I'm in love. I'm leaving. Um, yeah. See ya. So the only other thing I, I have to add, and I, I don't necessarily need commentary on this, but I just, I just want to say it because I, I saw an article out there, two articles actually this week already, I'm just already really tired of people comparing Villeneuve's Dune to Lynch's Dune. Um, <laughs> somebody already went through and did a shot for did sh- that a, sh- a shot for shot trailer build of footage from the Lynch film to match the Villeneuve trailer, and That's then ra- and then did a side by side, you know, examine. I'm just like, don't you mean Villeneuve Waveway? Guys- <laughs> oh, dude! It's oh what, isn't it like. Denis no. Villeneuve. It's no, like no, it's, it's Denis Villeneuve. Uh, yeah, so yeah, the pointlessness of comparing the two films is. I uh, just, I know it's going to happen more. It's you know that's that's this actually falls under a news that gives me fits just because it's going to be I'm, the Star already, Wars prequels all over again. I mean, it's it's maybe, maybe. it's no. I yeah, mean, but there it, was so sense, there was so much potential positivity there though. In the in the sense that. It's a completely panned piece of material until you get something to compare it to. And then suddenly it's sacrosanct and no one can touch it. And that's exactly what happened with the prequels once the sequels came out. And everyone was like, well, this was a real story. I mean, you know, how could, how could the sequels be worse than the prequels? And the same thing, like everything you hear about the David Lynch Dune, even the four-hour one, which is my favorite, um, is 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 always done with this kind of tongue in cheek like yeah well you know if you want to see a movie that just goes off the rails you got to see you know david lynch's dune that's yeah i, I don't understand and that then, that's not a fair assessment not of at course all. not no no of course not but this is this not is what we're you're dealing with mediocre people yeah. commenting on yeah. genius you know so you're you never going to get insightful internet? yeah exactly <laughs> um and so now you have, uh, like, this, all I've seen from Villeneuve's, uh, you know, from the trailer that got dropped, the people are like, wow, it's just really, it's underwhelming. It's really, and I'm like, look, you're not going to get a David Lynch. It's not going to, you're never going to get a movie like that again. You know, like, we're for, for, uh, from uh, De Laurentiis' daughter, who loved the book, right? Um, she threw money at it. David Lynch is, it's his first big budget movie, so he's trying to impress also trying to maintain his lynch lynchism or whatever you want to call that while he's you know there's i mean there's embroidery on the walls there's gold inlay and th- i mean you're never going to get that kind of craftsmanship again and it in it the movie was a huge disappointment it was a box office disappointment right. so it stands as almost it stands as a, an example a symbol of you know of the 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 failures of opulence uh, or whatever you know it's it's be, it's used it's the same with uh actually uh recently david Tui's uh chronicles of riddick came under the same fire 
because it was some people were actually saying it it tried to do too much it reached too far which whatever that means for a movie so i I like that movie of course so you got it you've you've got (laughs) villeneuve villeneuve um who who had just i think especially after he tackled uh uh Blade Runner. Runner. I don't know why anybody's worried. I don't know why anybody's got any concerns about it. Because if you talk about a visual feast, the first Blade Runner was pretty much, you know, your our, our first extravaganza, like our first world build. You know, this world is is real. It's tangible, on screen. It's not a it's not a cartoon. It's not a comic book. This is this is really happening kind of situation. You know, like Sid Mead just jumped right off the page, right? You know, Villeneuve was was not was vocal in his fear of you know and you know the the how people were going to take his take on that universe. You know, leading up to the release of the film, it was like, dangerous. He shouldn't. Of have, course, he, I wouldn't have done it. I would, no matter how much I love that film, I wouldn't have. I would. I would never done it. So, I mean, look, I, as I said to Dolce, the movie looks epic, but it does look a little bland. It's gonna look bland next to Lynch. You know, but the problem is you got to know that we've seen a microscopic amount of whatever is 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 waiting for us. I'd rather see less in the preview. I don't want to see big scenes from the movie in the preview. I I want to see nothing. And frankly, they got those still suits right, so I'm 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 willing. Yeah, I'm willing to. Like I said to Dolce, I don't even care if it's bad. It's just another rendition. Of Dune, yeah. it's another opportunity for me to go see Duncan Idaho and, and Gurney Halleck again, you know, and in in whatever iteration portrayed by portrayed by interesting actors. Right. Um, I, I like Timothy Chalamet. I, I, I like um, uh, all of the, yeah. the stars that are in it. Um, I, I think they'll bring something unique and interesting to to the film. Uh, I think it, it, the the picture looks good. The effects, um, uh, you know, are top notch and and so forth from what we're glimpsing. Uh, it'll be different from Lynch, um, uh, but I'd like yeah. to give it a shot. Yeah, Dune is another funny thing because you can't really spoil it for anybody because it spoils itself in the trailer when uh, the when Moham tells tells uh, Paul your your dad's your dad's going to lose this planet, your dad's going to go to Dune and die. I mean, she just outright tells him what's going to happen, and you can't right. really spoil it. You, it. It's just because it's so dense and it's so it's so odd. It's so different. It's so it it is. It's the sum of its parts that's the real attraction. It's not really the sequence. It's not really the narrative. So you're just we're all just going just to see how Villeneuve like holds that tiger. You know that's that's basically all we're going to see. It's like we're it, it's not we're the book has proven itself over and over again. We're just we're just going to see how a really uh, innovative visionary director tackles some of the most difficult imagery that's ever been, you know, that's ever been conceived. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny. I had this conversation with Walter this afternoon because uh, I called him to let him know we were going to put some uh, teasers up about the show next week. And I brought up the fact that, um, that Mel Gibson is remaking. He brought up Sam Peckinpah about something. And I brought up, Oh, I'm like Mel. I just read that Mel Gibson is working on a remake of the wild bunch. And, 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 and Walter immediately brought up the remake of uh, magnificent seven, which, you know, and and we, we both, and while I haven't seen the whole thing, uh, I have watched about 
I've seen about maybe two thirds of it. It's, you know, I understand why they felt the need to, because, you know, it's, you know, you can't get some, a certain, there are just a certain percentage of people who will not go back and watch old movies, regardless of their, you know, I know people, I know people who won't watch black and white movies. I think it's the most stupid idea ever, but you know, there are people who just don't, they don't like to see black and white films. They want to see color films. It's like, all right, great. But I understand the, the studio thinking of putting a whole bunch of faces that everybody recognizes from now into a film that was popular back in the day and people talk about. The one thing I will say about Gibson remaking The Wild Bunch is I don't think we have to worry about him softening the blow of that film in any way, shape, or form. If anything, he may actually make it harder. Well, of course, that's, that's, the, jo- that's the inside joke is that he... You know, he's trying to work out his life problems on screen by making things just more and more violent as he goes <laughs> along. And now he's picking the film that that came out right before the 70s that introduced graphic film violence onto the screen. I mean, it's just, it's almost, it's comical that he's remaking this film to me. <laughs> but anyway, so Jeff's feature film choice, Fight Club. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. And this is how I met Tyler Durden. Hit me in the ear! Wait, back up. Let me start earlier. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. We're not your job. You're not how much money you have in the bank. Are you drive? You're not the contents of your wallet. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. Like, what is going on here? I think you know. From 1999, directed by David Fincher, with a running time of 139 minutes. A man meets a guy on a plane who opens up his eyes to all sorts of new ideas and altering his perspective on the world and his own life. Only there may be one small problem. Jeff, why this movie? Met him on a beach in the book, by the way. (laughs) Okay, never mind. Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, why this movie? Let me count the ways, guys. Um, uh, this is really, really, um, uh, uh, to me, one of the most fascinating of, of all uh, movies. Uh, and by the way, uh, in, in revisiting it, um, I, I have, you know, an entirely new read. Um, and ah, I, I think it plays into some of the stuff we've, we've been talking about today. Uh, but uh, a, a, a little context. Um, uh, in 1999... Um, uh, I, I think um, uh, that within a couple of years, both uh, Hassan and I had left uh, a comic book company, Acclaim uh, Comics. Um, and um, I don't know about you, Hassan, but I was a little bit adrift. Um, uh, it, was, um, it was not the greatest experience toward the end. <laughs> no, um, no, it was not. And um, uh, I, I had had some successes there but had been frustrated with parlaying those, uh, those successes. Some promises that were made to me, both in New York and Hollywood, didn't quite pan out. 
um, uh, I was kind of down and um, uh, here was this movie and um, and it it, um, uh, it it kind of spoke to me in in terms of uh, uh, you know kind of being uh, uh, somnambulist uh, 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 you know were we were we sleepwalking was I was I kind of not quite getting what it is that I wanted and here was this uh, a stunning uh, figure in Tyler Durden who uh, who basically uh, was apt to put a gun to the back of my head uh, and and say go and get what you want or I'm going to pull this trigger um, you know so so this was a movie that kind of lit a fire under me in less than a year after Fight Club I had raised uh, uh, three quarters of a million dollars and started Starlight Runner Entertainment um, and and a lot wow. of it had to do with the scene uh, where this uh, a Korean grocer is is brought to his knees and Tyler Durden threatens his life unless he pursues his dream uh, of becoming in this case a veterinarian <laughs> um, right. but the immediacy the notion that one can actually change one's mind and pursue a, a dream and, and, and become hyper-focused at accomplishing uh, th that dream simply because um, uh, somebody threatened your life. I didn't need that part. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, I said, oh, oh, I'm, I'm capable of making the decision that this, this guy made right now as I leave this movie theater and um, and it changed my life. I, I was able to um, uh, to start Starlight Runner Entertainment, and within a year or so of doing that, I was uh, uh, writing and producing an animated television series for Cartoon Network, uh, and then working with uh, Disney, and then James Cameron on Avatar, and, and you know, it, it just uh, it just happened. So the movie is important to me from from that respect, but I also chose it, guys, because. I have not seen any film that so accurately anticipated not the next few years, but the next 20. Fight Club was uh, uh, created uh, on the eve of the 21st century, and every single scene tells us something. It's like it's reading the 21st century's palm. Uh, I think it's the last of the dream movies. In the 90s, the mid to late 90s, there were a series of movies, Strange Days, Event Horizon, The Game, Dark City, and especially The Matrix. Each one of those movies was saying, hey, wake up. people, yeah. wake up. You're, you're asleep at the wheel. You're dreaming. <laughs> this, this boy band thing is not going to last. <laughs> you're, you're, you're partying wrong. with Bill Clinton and something's up. Something's wrong. And it's so wrong uh, that it is going to trigger a, a dystopic universe. And, um, and Fight Club was the last one. In 1999, um, uh, it, it's saying, hey, you're aboard this plane, and it is going to crash. <laughs> um, literally, <laughs> you're aboard this plane, and it is going to crash. Uh, that's one of the first scenes in the movie, and one of the final scenes in the movie are buildings um, uh, collapsing. 
down on themselves. And in between, there's, there are trolls, there are incels, there is wayward manhood, there is a, a toxic masculinity, there are mass shootings, uh, and then mayhem in the streets. Domestic terrorism. Uh, d- d- yep, yep, the whole nine yards. So, um, uh, uh, so let's talk about Fight Club. <laughs> I know we're not supposed to. That's right. Jesus this was the movie, <laughs> by the way, uh, that lost Bill Mechanic his job. Uh, Bill Mechanic was That's right. uh, uh, the head of the studio, 20th Century Fox. He spent a lot of money on this movie. He believed in it, and the movie didn't do well. Uh, yeah, he, there was a string of, of losses. This was the, the last straw. And uh, uh, Bill Mechanic, great uh, uh, filmmaker, uh, uh, left uh, 20th Century Fox. Lathan, you want to lead us off? Sure. So uh, I, I think I've only seen this twice now when it came out. And then yesterday I have my old review. And after watching it today, I, I haven't changed it. I like the movie. I think it's capably directed. It's interesting. It's unique with its story. Um, all the acting is great. You know, there's no real problem with it uh, from a general filmmaking standpoint or movie going standpoint from someone who sees a lot of movies my issue with it is i was trying to pinpoint what it was and when i finished it today i you know i checked my review i had made and i think the movie here's here's my problems with it the first problem is i think the movie thinks it's clever and it's not as clever as it as it actually comes off as the nihilistic point of view of this movie i i just can't get past it that's how it comes off to me I don't enjoy watching people beat the shit out of each other over and over and over. And I get the point of what's what the writer's trying to say. I just, I don't like watching people batter each other for two and a half hours. It was, maybe not two and a half. They don't start fighting until about a half hour. Right? And I think the big plot twist in it, it, it just, you know, I didn't guess it, but I don't find it. I, I think the movie falls apart after you find out He's a part, you know, I don't know if we're supposed to give the plots this way. After, you, after the plot to us in this, this movie. This is a 20-year-old movie. I, you're I not know. Surprising you know, anyway. Someone's listening to a podcast. If you want to watch Fight Club, it's it's definitely worth a watch. I just, the, after the plot twist, not much happens. And it doesn't, yeah, after you find out about the plot twist, some stuff happens. But I, I, I don't know. I, I have a hard time. It's probably my least favorite Fincher film. Wow. And I think his most over, well, nah, Panic Room is. Um, yeah. wow. I was going to say, what about Panic Room? Yeah. <laughs> Why does everybody knock Panic Room? I like Panic Room. Dwight Yoakam in that movie is just... That's another show. Just... Yeah, <laughs> I know, video. I know, I know. <laughs> it's, we've talked about his films before. I mean, yeah. His worst movie is better than most. So every time this movie tries to take a clever turn with you know, him walking amongst the catalog with the special effects or... The film when he's getting angry, the, you see the sides of the film, and I, you know the fourth wall breaks. I, I, I just don't. None of them. I, I don't feel anything when this movie's over. And I'm not saying it's a bad film. I, I like it. I think it's a, a good movie. I just don't. I don't love it like other people do. And I, you know, I'd recommend anyone to see it. I just, it's, it's a. I think it's a hard watch. I don't think it's. Maybe it's supposed to be. And I like movies that are hard watches, but. This one doesn't doesn't reach me like it obviously reached Jeff and other people. 
it's funny you actually say that thing about the hard watch because uh, for the for the last week leading up to my knowing I have to rewatch this film, just my residual memory of watching it the first time was enough to keep me putting it off. I, I literally finished the film about 10 minutes before I sent the, the invite for the Zoom call tonight. I had a profoundly different reaction to watching it a second time. Uh, I will let Hassan go ahead anyway and uh, get his review in. I agree with, well, it's weird. I agree with both Jeff and Latham. I don't think there's much to the movie or the story. Um, and I do think it does. I, I think once you find out the twist, and it's weird because I, when I was first watching it, I think I figured it out, but only maybe 10 minutes before it was revealed. So I was like, ah, you know, so I was, it, <laughs> I was happy that I figured it out, but You're it was racing to the finish. <laughs> yeah. And then it was, then we were, yeah, then we were on the sprint for the, for the, for the finish line. But in conjunction with what Jeff said, the movie is, uh, spoke to me in like a couple of profound ways. I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it speaks to you in like these really profound ways. You know, it's, it's, because, I mean, it gets you thinking about... Because basically, the, the Jack, in the commentary, they call him Jack um, for the movie. In the credits, he's referred to as narrator. Right. Yeah. Narrator. Right. Yeah, be, because he's, he's, he's sleepwalking, as, as we've said. But he goes, he goes on these, like... He has these very morose fantasies. You know, he fantasizes, and it's really weird because a lot of movies don't do that. A lot of movies deal with, I mean, after this movie, we started getting into moments like, also, Donnie Darko was kind of like, was 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 also very similar to that. That's another, but that started the, hmm? Donnie Darko, another of those yeah. dream movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's It started, it's, it, it started the dark fantasy movies where you're like, I would just rather see all this stuff burn. You know, um, no, I, I will be honest at that time. I, I had very, a lot of darkness, you know, and uh, I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. And I didn't feel, I didn't feel capable of expressing it in any other way other than anger uh, or, you know, stoicism, which is supposed to protect me and everybody else from anger. And it just made me, it just made everything worse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, I mean, two years earlier, my mom died, you know, like a bunch of, a bunch of weird, a lot of stuff was going on sure. during Fight Club. And uh, I remember, though, the, the most profound thing that, that got me is um, his, his uh, we'll, we'll call him uh, Norton. Norton's house burns down. And so he goes to call Tyler Durden for no reason. You know, just basically because he just met the guy and he goes to call him. And so this guy picks up the phone and he's, you know, he's eating potato chips or something like yeah. that in his ear. <laughs> yeah. It's a very weird visceralness about it. But then he, 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 there's a, there's a point in the conversation where he just leaves it dangling where he says, uh, you know, Hey, we met on the plane and the guy goes, Oh, Okay. Yeah. And he just leaves yeah, it. Like, okay, he's like the clever guy. Yeah, but he's like, but, but it's that okay, you know, like he just left it. <laughs> like, what the fuck do you want? You know, like it, it's your dime. Tell me what you want. And now, and now, Jack or or 
Edward, or whatever we want to call him, narrator, has to now ask him, can I stay with you because my house just burned down? And I, I remember personally just being like, like as a, as a kid at the time, I would have been more, I wouldn't have been able to get past that. Okay. Like I would have called him. He would have picked up the phone. I would have wanted to say something to him and I would not have been able to, to get past that. And then it, what's great about the film is the film goes there. Cause a few moments later, you guys just, just ask me, man, you know, just, you know, I've, I've been hanging out with you all night, you know, just ask me. And there's, there's also, and this is a side genre of the, I don't know. I, I call it the guy down the road mm. where there's a, there's someone that's kind of in your, in your vicinity who's further down the road than you are. So he knows more than you do. And for some reason, he's hanging out with you, you know, but you're so busy being enamored with all the stuff that this person knows that you don't know, that you don't realize that this person, you know, only knows maybe a fraction of a bit more than you do. And you end up doing bad things or getting caught up in really shitty things because you think that this person is a, you know, is a, some kind of bastion of wisdom, you know, because you are just, you know, you don't know up from down, you know, you don't even know where to get knowledge from. Not only are you not smart, but you don't even know where you can go to get smart. And that's kind of what that movie reminded me of. And watching it again, I just, I'm not there anymore, but I remember being there. Like, I don't even know how to, how to start thinking right. You know, I don't even know how to, if I wanted to become Tyler Durden, I wouldn't even know where to begin to, to, you know, to, 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 to get down that road. And there's other things. I wanted to be a writer really badly. I thought that Fight Club was amazing writing at the time. I still do. I still think uh, Polonic is a is a unique writer. He's a very, you know, he's a bad, he's a very terrible public reader, but he's a great writer in and of itself. <laughs> and uh, and he, uh, he, he just, just like, how do you get these words? You know, how do you find these words? How do you, how do you, how do you put these thoughts together like this? How can you, how do you build something that speaks to someone else like, like me in such a profound way and then still have it be entertaining, you know? So as Latham said, the movie in and of itself, when you, when you get past all that craziness, all that cerebral uh, mishmash and just watch the movie for what it was, it's really not that much of a movie. It's a guy who hit his head. He sees this imaginary guy around, and an imaginary guy tells him to do bad things, and he and he does bad things until he figures out that I'm doing bad things because I hit my head, and uh, you know I want to be better. Um, ultimately, what the story is, but it's a revelation in the way you tell a story. You know, it's a revelation in some of the some of the the stuff that the film tackles. You know, like calls them the middle children of history, you know, calls us all the middle children of history. Yeah. We don't have a great war. We don't have a great depression, you know? <laughs> we and depression. Yeah. We are the, the great war is our lives. A great depression is our lives. A great war is a, you know, is, 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 it's just, it's a lot of stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's when heavy. you're, impre- yeah. When you're impressionable, it's a lot of stuff. When you've gotten past a lot of this stuff, it's, it becomes quaint, because I can't, when I watched it again, I cannot, I had a hard time connecting with myself having experienced the movie for the first time. Um, I remember a lot of stuff. I remember a lot of pain that I had. 
I remember a lot of, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of things that I wanted, a lot of doors that I wanted to open that I thought that the movie was unlocking for me. I thought it was, I thought the movie was way smarter when I, when I watched it 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it's any dumber now. I just don't think that it's speaking to me. You're smarter. Well, I hope so. But I mean, I, I just, uh, I, I, because I don't know. I still don't. There's still things I don't freaking know. But uh, I, 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 I think it's no longer speaking to me on that level. Right. And I still love it for, for what it, the questions it made me ask, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that I still have a lot of answers to the questions it made me ask. I just discovered that some of those questions aren't as important as I thought they were, you know? And also, it's a fucking, it's a beautiful movie. It's a very slick, yeah. beautiful movie, fantastic soundtrack. That uh, The uh, Chemical Dust Brothers. Brothers. Dust the Brothers. Dust Brothers. Yeah. Brothers the same thing. Dust chemicals. I do that all the time. Actually, the Chemical Brothers used to be called the Dust Brothers, and these Dust Brothers are not the Chemical Brothers, correct? Yes. Correct. Jesus. Yeah, I know. <laughs> My head hurts now. Stop it. <laughs> okay. Stop it. <laughs> you know, that it's just, you know, you're not your fucking khakis. There's, there's so much in it, you know? There's, <laughs> there's so much in it. Um, but it's, but a lot fun. of it a lot of it is very angry, you know, it's very yeah. rageful and oh, yeah. I don't think I'm as angry as I used to be. So it doesn't speak to me on that level anymore, but I still have the cynicism. I still, I still possess <laughs> the same cynicism. I'm just not, I just don't think that I can fix it with rage. You know, it's just, I, I still have these same questions and I'm still as confused as I used to be, but I just don't think that the solution is, is going around uh, blowing up, uh, you know, credit card companies and, <laughs> and doing bad things to other people's food. You know, I just don't think that's the, the solution anymore. But um, yeah, it was it was a trip. It's this this show is kind of it's just is it's done it again. Where I probably would have watched Fight Club if I saw it on cable and it's ah oh, Fight Club and sat down and watched it and maybe discovered hey this is not uh, this is not knocking me over like it did before. But I think going into it specifically to watch it, specifically to to be able to talk about it, has allowed me to watch it for what it was and just and just re-experience the the original experience, and then find out that a lot of a lot of my re-experiencing, you know, a lot of things that I, that had connected to me are kind of hollow now. I don't I don't have a connection to those things anymore. So that was that's pretty profound. Still a great movie. Still one of my favorite Fincher movies. I'm sorry, Latham. Uh, I, oh, that's cool. I, I don't like Panic Room. <laughs> I think that's the only uh, Fincher movie I, I actually... Well, not like it. It's just not... It doesn't do anything for me. I agree. doesn't do anything for me either. But yeah, man, Fight Club is... Uh, it's going back on my list of movies that I'm going to watch uh, uh, a little more frequently. Um, just to see if I can reconnect to... Go ahead. To, I'm sorry, to, Jeff. Uh, to, just to play on, on a point that you made, Hassan, because it, it's funny how my most recent viewing in preparation for the podcast um, made me think about it in a much different way. Um, I, I was more apt to be amused and, and kind of almost cheer on uh, Tyler Durden and his ex- <laughs> escapades uh, uh, back then or or have it resonate with the nascent machismo <laughs> inside of me, uh, you know, ushering me out, making me aggressive enough to enter into business and, and, and so <laughs> forth. As I said before, now I look at it as a horror film. 
uh, now, I am not angry uh, the way I was back then, uh, innately angry, but the world has grown angrier. And uh, in this yeah. movie, the real story, and I feel it is a substantial story, is that you have a character who promises to deliver his people from capitalism, but that can only be achieved uh, through fascism. Um, uh, and, um, and you watch as these people who are uh, blue-collar, working-class Joes, ordinary people from all walks of life, uh, guys who are feeling helpless, who, um, uh, who the world has, has gotten away from them, uh, who are all in debt, uh, and yet our, our consumers are, are looking at this guy and allowing, them to, allowing him to rile them up uh, and turn them into, um, uh, in, the, in the movie, they're called space monkeys. Um, uh, but there are other words for them today, aren't there? Uh, and, yeah. And, um, yeah. uh, and, and they are in the streets, and, and they are firing guns. Uh, 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 you know, people who are, are trying to be free um, you know, so, so, um, uh, you, you have something that I, I think was, was prescient back then, but, but in the movie, you can see how something that is, uh, ch charming, um, uh, a kind of colorful, uh, a kind of hyper normal, um, uh, um, uh, and, and uses conflict, um, and, uh, and implied violence, which becomes violence, uh, to uh, forward an agenda. Um, yeah. and, and I think that's important, um, uh, you know, and, um, and it's more important now uh, than it was even back then. Yeah, what's real profound about the, how that resonates is how he was incapable of turning it off once he figured out the truth. Right. He was incapable of waking his followers up to, to the point that he, you know, I'm not testing you. This is this we're done. You know, I've, you know, I've had a revelation. We we shouldn't be doing any of this. And they, you know, and they think it's just another blind. You know, yeah. going into to, to, yeah. So <laughs> they they kept yeah. They, Jesus. They, everyone asks him, is this a test? Uh, you know, right. In other words, is is what you're telling me real? Because I don't know. You're you're sending me. Con you're constantly sending me contradictory signals, right. Um, right. right? In the morning, I wake up and you tell me this. At night, I, I, uh, you tell me the the opposite thing. Yeah, one of the, the that's what Helena Bottom Carter's character is there for to express that right. she's being completely confused by his hot and cold. The the song that she sings. Uh, as she walks away at one point is gotta get off this merry-go-round uh, mm -hmm. which is the theme song <laughs> to valley of the dolls um and, <laughs> and essentially that song was originally about um the the horrific cycle of of uh, drugs and abuse and and violence that these women in hollywood were experiencing at the hands of power men um, and, and here she is basically saying, I, I don't even know who you are. You're sure are charming. Every time you open your mouth, I have to watch the show. <laughs> right. <laughs> you right. know, 
right. you're you're sure compelling, uh, uh, but you're making me crazy. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to do, uh, you, you know. And that's that's really interesting to me. I I feel it's kind of relevant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. it is. It is, and I didn't even think of. Uh, I I thought of it more in conjunction with my own, you know, uh, connection with it. But I didn't even look at it allegorically, and that's kind of that's yeah. That's now that you said that, that's. I'm sorry. We I, I jumped in, and Steve was gonna. Yeah. Now that we don't, we don't, we don't have anything uh, in place that uh, you know that prevents anyone from stepping up and speaking when they want to. It's interesting hearing the three of you guys talk about this, you know, of how when it had more of a reaction to especially Jeff and Hassan uh, when you first viewed it as opposed to your review of it. And I feel that I'm the polar opposite. I, I felt like when I first viewed this film back in the day, I didn't take anything away from it at the you know, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't connect with it on a personal level. At any with anything that was going on in my life, it was just you know that there was nothing because, there. Steve, that, you're so obviously very manly. Oh well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it, uh, or or maybe it was my bitch tits, um, <laughs> uh, which I'll never be able to get over on Bob. But I I felt watching it this time, and like I said at 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 the very beginning, that uh, it was interesting that I I kept putting off watching this because I just felt like it was one of those movies. Whereas I knew I remembered liking it, but I just felt like it was it was something that I wasn't going to really enjoy watching again. And I found it to be the actual opposite. That uh, I really enjoyed viewing this again. I was able to take a lot more out of it this time, uh, as I found watching a number of things later. You know, after twenty or so years of, of movie watching and and being aware of a lot more stuff in the world and being able to there's just a lot of stuff i noticed about this and this is honestly more on a technical side than really about the the actual uh, the guts of what he was trying to say which i did I, I did i did you know grasp onto some of those themes uh a lot of what i was looking for uh going in knowing the twist you you start to look for the things could possibly have given it away. Oh, there's tons, tons. Steve. There's tons in this movie. Oh, oh yeah, there is. Yeah, and and, I, and especially at the point. very beginning when they start dropping in those subliminal things yeah. when he's talking you know, about when he's talking about when he, before before he's met him and he's just yeah. starting to starting to pop in at places. Yeah. You know, the best like, is the airport. Oh, the, the <laughs> when he just like, he just glides by him first, on the airport cuz the first time it happens if you were like, the, if you're watching this the first time, you have no context. So it's like, no. you might think that, what, what was that a fucking mistake? What was that? You know? And even then, even when you get to the point in the story where it talks about how Tyler Durden has this night job where he splices in uh, frames from porn into, you know, family feature films. And you, Fight Club itself. And Fight Club itself. You still, you still don't think back to that beginning point and go, oh, I see what he was doing there. It's yeah. not until you view it again. It's omniac, and then you know, you're like, like, and then, then you obviously, and by then you've already known the twist, and it's so it's it's you know not as obvious. But it's interesting to see the way he really tackled that first time around. It's fun to look at all that stuff secondhand or second view, and look at all the way you know how how Marla and Tyler and him are never in the room at the same time. Yeah, they're never in. Yeah. They're never in. I they're never within eye shot of each other Correct. at the same time. Yeah, that's he, one of the. 
she's in a room and, and steps out into a room to do something. And Tyler walks in, he steps out, she walks back in. It's just like the timing on some of that stuff. It, it's very similar to the, to the M night Shyamalan stuff with six Sense, where it's like, he's in a room or he's at a table and people are talking, having conversations. And you just assume that they're talking to him, even if, you know, and he's conversing, it's still not with them. You know, and it's right. not, you know, that great, that great scene at the beginning where he's sitting in the living room with the mom. Yep. He's having a whole conversation, but she never and speaks. She says nothing to say to him. Yeah. Right. And, and you, you think just, she's just grieving. So she right. doesn't, she's, but when she's you despondent. Think, and at the end, when you think back, you're like, no, no, no. He has that conversation with her at the beginning in the living room. And then you go back and you're like, fuck me. She never even talks, right. you know, yeah. and then the kid walks in and that's when she's, that's the first word she says is to the kid. And you're just like, holy shit, man. Yep. There's a lot of stuff like that in it that I, that I saw this time around that I, and I, you know, and like, like Hassan said, I mean, the film is, is gorgeous. And there are a couple of sequences, parts of this film that stand out as just really amazing, just of, in and of themselves, visual sequences, you know, not, not even like the, um, the bullet time sex scene that's in there for like, you know, 27 seconds or whatever it is uh, but you know and, and again it's so fast and it's shot so quickly you it almost is a non-issue it's not until you again are really looking for it and really appreciate it is really appreciate it that you really understand what they were doing at that time and again that wasn't the thing that like blew up until the matrix but yeah you know or, or blew up i should say with the matrix it was shot it was shot uh, uh after the matrix so um but yeah, there's a lot about this movie. I, I I was surprised at how fast it moved. When I looked at the running time, I was like, "All right, it's two hours plus." You know, I gotta you know get my window, dude. I was through this thing in no time, and I was just like, "Really?" I mean, this thing this thing clips right along, even on repeat viewings. I never felt like it. it there was a point in which it dragged. I love, and again, I have not read the book, so I, I can't speak to Polaniak's original uh, uh, sort of delivery. A lot of a lot of it is from the book though a lot of okay. the language yeah. is, is straight from the book pretty yeah. uh pretty true to it i just you know it, i i was reading that that he himself he says when he wrote the book uh that he didn't actually know that tyler and the narrator were the same guy until he was about two-thirds of the way through writing it and that's when he said wait a second these guys these guys yeah, are the that same would be a twist yeah yeah, yeah. And problematic he... for me but okay really okay yeah i just think that's I don't, I like when something's planned out and when you, I mean, if it, I, uh, most books are written that <laughs> Latham, way. Though. Latham, you trust know? me, he went back and did some revisions. Okay. <laughs> Once yeah, he figured course. it yeah. out, he, he, he right. went back and, and did some repairs. You got uh, sure, to shore up those right. threads. <laughs> yeah. Some other uh, some other fun casting stuff uh, with this. Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller was offered the role of Marla, wow. but wow. yeah, but due to her Buffy contract, she could not take it. It was a lockdown contract. Yeah, Nineteen ninety nine. Sarah Geller. Michelle Geller. That, Think that's, about that. That's a that's, whole yeah, different that's, look. That's, yeah, it's yeah, almost pedophiliac. Right <laughs> yeah. Some other actresses who were considered at the time: uh, Courtney Love, which would have fit pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Winona Ryder. And I Renee Zellweger, work. of all people. Um, yeah. And different and, energy. And Janine Garofalo claimed that she was offered the role. Uh, Norton would not sign off on it. He would not saying that she did not have the acting chops for that role, which I find, which, yeah, yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. Now that's, um, can I interject, Steve? Yeah, of course. The, the one other point I had to make. It, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, no, just, just based on what you just said. Um, the, the closest thing I can compare it to is there's a movie called Gross Point Blank. With oh, John God, Cusack. one of my favorites, all-time favorites. Okay, so that's a capable movie. It's decent. I like it. The only problem I have with it is I not, and it's not his acting, it's the casting. I don't buy John Cusack as a contract killer. Not, not even once in that film. And really? That, Isn't that yeah, the whole just, conceit? <laughs> what did you say, Jeff? Sorry. Yeah. Isn't that the whole conceit of the movie that that he would be the last person you would expect to be a contract killer? And, I, I guess, but then in the scenes where he's got to be violent, I really didn't buy it. I didn't buy it at all. Okay. Really? Because that no. fight in the locker room is pretty much one of the most realistic fights I've ever seen on on yeah. film. I don't dislike the and like I said, I don't dislike the film. I just that's the thing that drops at levels for me. And with this film, I never feel like Ed Norton, despite his great acting, is cast correctly. I think oh. they needed to cast someone else oh. in the role, and I would have bought it more. And you know, his acting, he's a great actor, of course. I just don't buy him as the narrator in this at different times in the film. Brad Pitt's perfect as Tyler Durden. I just, that's, it, it's just funny that you say he wouldn't, you know, that's pretty... I think that's really shitty of him to to do that person. Right. To to take away a chance from anybody, you're not that important. Let's put it that way. Uh, Reese Witherspoon was also chosen at one point for the role, uh, and then once she read the script, uh, she changed <laughs> her mind. She said yeah. it's it's too dark for where she was at as an actress. But she did Election, which was massively dark. Right, but this is dark in a different way. Yeah, true. this is this is dark down a different path. I mean, for Helen the Bottom Carter, I think. You know, right up alley. This is a this yeah. This is a no brainer for her, and that's that. That is nothing. That is not a knock on Helena Bonham Carter in any way. No. Well, let's see if you if you find some of the other alt casting uh, possibilities that didn't take place for the other characters are are the same way for you. Uh, so uh, one of the film's producers initially wanted Russell Crowe to play Tyler Durden. He was overruled by a fellow producer who felt Brad was the better choice. Uh, and that same producer has also said that since then, he's glad that Art Linson stepped in because he cannot imagine anyone else pulling off the role of Tyler Durden other than Brad Pitt at this point. Well, Russell Crowe would have caused real fights, too, in all the fight scenes. That he would have brought a new level of realism to yeah, that film. He would have. Yeah, that would, that would not have worked either. And, and initially, producers wanted either Matt Damon or Sean Penn for the narrator role. And and Fincher wanted Norton because of not because of American History X, but because of another film he had done right before that. Primal and fear or, uh, yeah, the no, no, no. Primal Fear was after. No, Primal no? Fear was ninety five or seven. Yeah, was way it, was, it, was, it wasn't Primal Fear. It was another one. I, I didn't write down. Oh, you the didn't name. write it down. I okay. didn't write down the name, but uh, but that oh. was the reason that Fincher wanted Norton, and uh, and that's what he got. So. This is the, this is a kind of funny one. Uh, so three of the detectives in the film are named Detective Andrew, Detective Kevin, and Detective Walker. Ha ha ha! Andrew uh, Kevin uh, Walker, obviously the writer of Seven, uh, apparently also did some uncredited script polishing on this, as did Cameron Crowe, which is kind of interesting. Wow, I don't Fincher, even see where he would have interjected anything. Yeah. So, so so Fincher initially approached Radiohead about scoring the film. 
but Tom York, uh, as is usually the case post tour, was suffering from exhaustion following the tour for OK Computer, and they had to decline. That's understandable. Yeah, they had that was a big album. Sets on that tour. Yeah, Fincher claims that uh, that there is a Starbucks coffee cup visible in every shot in this film. Uh, and that is part of the deal that they <laughs> that is part of the deal that they made with Starbucks. Uh, and at the end, when the guys go with the sink with the sequence that ends up in one of the the space monkeys deaths, they were supposed to have destroyed a Starbucks when but when Starbucks read the script and said they blow up this coffee shop, destroy this coffee shop, uh, they balked and said, uh, no, you can't do that. So they ended <laughs> up making it the Gratifico Cafe. <laughs> There's a coffee cup in every shot of this movie. Is that what you just said? He said in every scene. Oh, okay. There's a, there's yeah, a coffee cup. And I, and I was watching at the beginning before I actually got sucked into the film again and stopped paying attention to the, <laughs> the periphery. Uh, and he, especially in the first five or ten minutes, I don't think he's wrong. Okay. There, there's uh, Fincher, just, Fincher knows his thing. If he, says, um, if he says it's there, then that's probably the truth. Yeah. He shot over 1,500 reels of film for this. Three times the three times the normal amount for a tw- hundred and twenty minute film. Nuts. So three directors were offered this film before David Fincher, Peter Jackson, who was too deep into prep on Lord of the Rings yeah. to get involved. Wrong. Choice. Um, Brian Singer, who did X Men. Thank God. Year. Well, he never he never bothered to read the book or respond. <laughs> and too busy. And Danny Boyle. Mm. Who oh, chose? Who Boyle would have handled it, I think. And who chose to focus on the beach instead, with uh, with our pal yeah. Alex Garland. I mean, that's a that's an interesting comparison too, because this movie's very. It looks great, but it's very dirty. It's a very dirty, oh yeah, grimy film, and that's why. I mean, the only film I can think of comparatively that looks like it is Train Spotting. So, <laughs> I mean, so I need a shower. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the hor- it, most horrible toilet in Britain, or whatever it's. That's right. Uh, it's funny, and it's funny about the address of the house uh, on Paper Street, which in which obviously has been referenced in multiple films as well as we found already. So, Paper Street is generally a term that's used in. Uh, city zoning and paper street refers to a street that has not yet been put in There are streets that don't actually exist yet. Like they'll call them paper streets. They're only on paper because they're only on paper. They're usually on zoning Hmm. maps or whatnot. So so paper street becomes a residence that technically can't possibly exist, which is another kind of like a little thing towards the whole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fiction. Yeah. So this was this was a, a pretty funny anecdote. The original pillow talk scene where where uh, him and Tyler are in the kitchen and he's speaking about how Marla says the the, the amazing things that comes out of her mouth when she says, uh, you know, I, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. Yeah, it's a great one. Uh, which is another funny aside because Helena Bonham Carter yeah, being British didn't understand yeah. that grade school meant that far back. Yeah. <laughs> Until after the fact. And then she's like, oh. <laughs> um, so apparently uh, the original studio president of production, the original line there was, I want to have your abortion. Oh, yeah. And when she heard that, she's like, no, you're taking it out. And so Fincher said, I'll change it and I'll put a new line in it on the agreement that my new line can't be cut. And they made the agreement. And that was the replacement line, uh, which they when they heard the replacement line, 
they then got angrier and said, no, put the other one back in. And he's like, nope, no. sorry. <laughs> That's the deal you made. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and so, so it's funny I when you were, when you're talking, when you're talking about spoiling the ending, uh, Rosie O'Donnell did not like this film upon her viewing it. And apparently she saw it in an advanced, an advanced screening somewhere. And at the time she to had a talk show, but yeah, on her, right. on the air on her show, she divulged the plot twist to all her oh. viewers and told people that they should not go see the film. Wow. I mean, Brad, Brad Pitt referred to this as unforgivable. It's yeah, a pretty it's, shitty thing to do. And if you're, if you're on a pop culture entertain or a, a, yeah. a talk show, which is basically pop culture in itself. Yeah. I give just, away other pop culture. You're just a fucking hypocrite. So, I mean, that's terrible. So the, the director of photography on this film is Jeff Cronenwith. And that is the son of Jordan Cronenwith, the highly acclaimed cinematographer of not the least of which is Blade Runner. This is his first feature with Fincher and his first feature film. Big, big music video director uh, and has continued to be. But uh, he has direct he has DP'd most of Fincher's films post this one. Okay. Uh, and that's about the end of my odds and ends. But Arsenio uh, Hall did that to uh, Michael Douglas and uh, Danny DeVito for uh, the War of the Roses. Oh, well, were, I remember! I remember seeing that on the air. They were like doing doing ending. press for the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he God. gave away the ending. <laughs> oh, well, that's which it. I which I won't give away. But he basically said, yeah. "Oh, so blah blah blah," and they, they <laughs> and they literally jumped him. I think they <laughs> just jumped on top of him. So it. I mean, they seemed to take it in stride, but yeah. I'm sure that that was you know, unless that was planned. You're romancing yeah. the Stone Three without any action adventure in it. Is that the movie you're talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I mean. I, Listen, I, I I really enjoyed watching this again. Uh, considering my my general feelings towards towards reviewing this, uh, you know, the, I, for I don't know why. I just if for some reason it left a spot, some kind of reaction at the time that was enough to make me think that you know. Listen, I, I feel the I felt similarly, honestly, about rewatching this film. Someday somebody's going to come to us and ask us to rewatch Requiem for a Dream, and I'm going to feel the exact same way. But. I'll probably watch it and enjoy it just as much as I did the, you know, it just as much. But again, you know, in this film, I think I've been able to take that sort of mark away. I don't, I mean, listen, I, I, I saw Requiem for a Dream recently enough that I, I, I'm, I'm, I have no great rush to go see it again. Uh, you know, <laughs> anyone who's seen that movie understands why. It's a tough uh, film. It, I mean, I it's, draw. it's, a, it's the greatest anti-drug PSA ever created. I, <laughs> I, I seriously, I mean that you know, but it's I mean it's a phenomenal film. It just it's it's a it's a road that once you go down it, you're like, all right, I'm gonna find a different way back because there's got to be <laughs> there's got to be more interesting, more you know, more enjoyable things to look at. Um, but uh, Fight Club was a lot of fun. Uh, this was uh, this was a good pick. I mean, I, I you can always count on Fincher. I you know obviously to an extent because these guys have uh films by him that they do do or don't like or this better one, than others only only panic room i mean i think that's funny why do you guys dislike panic room so much i don't dislike it i just think it's his weakest film it's weak yeah, okay there's nothing it, happens in it like considering great where idea the idea is great and he never the story never fully exploits the idea of being stuck in a panic room. 
Okay. All right. Fair I enough. think the promise of Panic Room is the problem because it yeah. promises a lot. Like when you watch the trailer yeah. and they're like, we want what's in that room. And you're like, yeah. well, what could that be? And then you realize there were bonds and, you know, oh, you know, like you just yeah. kind of get, oh, all right. <laughs> Why can't oh. there be like a zombie <laughs> stuck in that room? Then the whole movie <laughs> Something like that. The, the village. I will tell you which ones weren't very strong in, in the. No. Movie. Yeah. Dwight, Dwight Yoakam was a, was a bastard in the film, yeah. which, oh, which, which is really funny. Great. Because if you watch the film with the commentary, Yoakam does a commentary. Does he? And oh, yeah, nice. he does. He does a track, and Jody does a track, and Jody's constantly making fun of Dwight Yoakam on her track because if he was, he was kind of. She said he was really pampered in the shoot, and he was a little dainty about certain things that he wasn't going to do. He didn't want to step on the. He didn't want to step on the 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 light bulbs, you know, uh, the the shattered light bulbs and stuff yeah. like. There's certain things he refused to do, so she was making fun of him. So he does his his commentary track into a point, and then you could tell someone in the studio told him that Jody was making fun of him on her track, and he flipped out. He goes, "Jody doesn't know what the hell she's talking about." That's funny. <laughs> and he just goes on a riff about it. It was fantastic. And then also, you know, because he's playing a bastard, it's always great to have a you know, the villain do a commentary track and, you know, right. sound like a halfway decent human being, you know, compared to the son of a bitch that he was in that movie and also in <laughs> Sling Blade. Sling Blade, so, yeah. yeah. Some so, folks call it a Kaiser Blade. <laughs> don't do this, Sling Blade. <laughs> I'm just Let's gonna, start that. I'm oh, just going to do the podcast oh, like that. Okay, All right. All right. <laughs> and so that takes us to a special place. Where is that stupid <laughs> special place we have to go to? <laughs> Down the tubes. And again, the internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. So we will start with the posters for Fight Club. Did you, uh, did you look at these ahead of time, Jeff? Sure. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I mean, because some people do and some people Holy don't. Holy cow! There's like a million of them. <laughs> yeah. Latham, Latham never looks at them beforehand. Nope. I like to be spontaneous in my hatred of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> well, Latham, I'll, I'll I'll have you know because of your reactions over time to the uh, to the segment, uh, I have changed my curation process of posters for this segment. So uh, I hope that uh, you're trying to fool me. No, <laughs> no, I just, uh, I've approached my curation process in a slightly different way. So I'm hoping that that makes a difference in general with the, with the, the enjoyment of the poster. Okay. So, uh, we'll, we'll start here with uh, the first of three teaser posters. One of the things uh, that Fincher did is he approached a, a one, he'd never done this before with any of his other films. He approached a marketing firm uh, about a a marketing scheme to sell to the studio uh, for this film, he wanted it to go in a very specific direction, and uh, you can see from you know the, these first three posters, the teaser A, B, and C, that uh, clearly he was working for a very specific reaction. You know, he was looking for reactions out of people ahead of time. Yeah, oh, you yeah. know, let alone for so. Uh, you know, thick ladder like rabies. I, you know, and it's funny. The first three times I looked at this poster after I downloaded the image, when I would glance at it, I'd always see like babies, and I was like, "Why does that say like babies?" I'm like, "Why the, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck?" 
And I, <laughs> it took me the longest time for my brain to constantly register that it actually said yeah, rabies. It's not an R, R. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not good. Not good. <laughs> so uh, next is uh, Advance A, which is one of a pair of uh, posters. Uh, obviously, it you know it's a selling Ed and Tyler. Oh, they, work, they work to you know, advance A and B. <laughs> and then after after those two, uh, we get to the standard USA release. This is the poster that everybody knows. This is the yeah. one you saw pretty much everywhere. The The next one after this USB is a, is a combination of the two advanced posters. And I didn't, I don't remember this poster as being one of the general release images. Uh, I no. really only, I really only remember seeing the the main USA release. So I don't get the non-centering at the top. I don't, I don't. Uh, yeah, this isn't doing anything for me. I don't well, in the in the USA one, uh, once you once you kind of notice that that arm isn't actually Tyler's arm, right? It you can't unnotice it after that. It's huh. a, the the proportioning is yeah that is yeah, weirdly it, off yeah. Yeah, it looks like it works until you scrutinize, and then you realize it doesn't work. And it's really it weak like it poster. I think it's weak. It it looks like yeah. what was that movie we watched a couple weeks ago? The um, the sci-fi movie, uh, the bad one. Um, Six the John, Johnny Mnemonic. It reminds me of oh. like just hmm, oh okay. weak lettering, and I don't know. I this is. I'm surprised this was the final decision or the one that they chose to use. I, I don't like. It. Yeah, I, it doesn't. Uh, I mean, I, I don't feel one way or the other about it. Yeah, it doesn't. Just, it doesn't. It does, it doesn't, it doesn't keep it bland for the theme of the movie. I don't know. Yeah, it does. It doesn't stand out. That's for sure. Correct. Um, so the first, uh, our first artist poster is by Dan Norris, Dan K. Norris, which we've seen before. Uh, this is. Uh, there's two of them. Uh, yeah. He did a he did a diptych that works together one of uh, one of one and one the other, so they uh, okay sure work Pretty together. What's interesting is 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 if you look at them, if you look at them with the hands in the correct positions, which would be thumbs together like you would normally, they aren't looking at each other. No, they're looking apart. They're looking apart, other. not the way I have them set here, which is looking at each other, but the hands are reversed. That's kind of kind of interesting. I don't know if he set that up on purpose or if that's just something he stumbled into. Um, after that, we have uh, a poster by Dylan Dillenko. Okay, which is just an interesting kind of designy twist. It's almost it's it's almost book covery. Yeah, yeah, a bit. Not sure how many books it would copies it would sell, but mm-hmm. no. Uh, next is uh, a guy that goes by the name of Genzo Things. Are, are these still American posters, or not, are we international now? No, no. These are uh, these are like alt alt uh, alt posters by arts and fan art posters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any anything with a name on it. All the all of the international posters I found were all variations on either USA or USB, just ah. with with the text replaced in their own language. There wasn't mm-hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of uh, new art variation to uh, the the actual campaigns that the the international poster campaigns. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's uh, interesting how he uses the one's eye to be a part of the other guy's face, but otherwise, this looks like just a bunch of mishmash. And uh, right, hmm. I don't like. <laughs> Very well. 
It's twelve oh five, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. What a surprise! You know. I think uh, it's, it's and, time uh, for Midnight Latham. Yeah. So, so <laughs> uh, Midnight Latham was here from the beginning today. So uh, <laughs> here's a poster by Josh Budich, uh, which misquotes uh, the line at the bottom here, right underneath the L. It says, "I am Jack's nipple," when it was really "I am Jill's nipple." Uh, right. But uh, he's re- he's replaced all the lines with Jack. So otherwise, I like it. I just yeah, you got to get that right. Yep. That does not look like Edward Norton though. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, no, and and Tyler Durden honestly looks a little more like Kurt Russell than it does uh, Brad Pitt there. Right, but I would know that was Tyler Durden without okay. without seeing the Fight Club, I would not know that was Edward Norton right. without. And I would know that to Helena Bonham Carter without the you know. Okay. Uh, that's nice. Fair enough. I don't uh, like it. Next is uh <laughs> Kaz Umori. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, second rule. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could have used a C. <laughs> Fight club. I don't know what the F is just, you know. Yeah, right. But Okay. Uh, so next is a poster by Ken Taylor. Oh, Paper Street House. Yep. Like that one. A little uh, psycho, though. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe yeah that's a little what bit. Going for. <laughs> yeah. That house yeah, was so, it was just, the house was so interesting. And I love the, 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 uh, the, the description of where the house was located. He's like, there were, there was nothing within a half mile of us, you know, of like, you know, being in a, being in, in a large direction. urban location, there was nothing in a half mile of you. And you're just like in this fucking house in the middle of this fucking DMZ. Uh, next is uh, Nuno Sarnatus. Uh, okay. Yeah. Is that supposed to be, that's Edward Norton top and bottom? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe better if it was Brad Pitt either on the bottom or top. I, I, you know, I thought about that myself when I first looked at it, but I, I, I actually kind of like this because I mean, it, it really all is him anyway, and maybe that's maybe that unfortunately is giving too much away. It should have been it should have been Brad Pitt just to sell the idea, right? As opposed to you know this this actually kind of gives it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but only if you think too deeply. I know. Right. Yeah. Well, I, yes, and if you already know, I, I get it. Um, the next is Peter Mahoney. I just like the uh, just the what he's done here is is nice. It is nice. The image itself is cool. Composition is nice. The circular, yeah, yeah. crescent moon. And I like what he did with the logo and did that sort of like multi size layering. Uh, I mean, I don't like the the tagline on the top. I don't think that really. It doesn't add anything to it. No, you're right. uh, it's uh, a line that's mentioned twice in the film. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know. I just right. don't like the line. I, I don't think that line. Adam. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk so got that from a, a coworker. Yeah, he says, oh really? All, all, <laughs> yeah, all singing, all dancing. Like <laughs> a- anything was all singing, all dancing. You know. Um, <laughs> so he, I, I'm sure Chuck uh, innovated the uh, crap of the world. Yeah, by himself, yeah. but. Uh, so next is Raphael Orico. Okay. Uh, okay. It's a nice image. I mean, it's a nice, it's nicely, uh, nicely put together. 
Yeah, compositionally, and, it's and it incorporates it's solid. both. It incorporates both guys, right? So next is Richard Goodall. Kind of a spoiler. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Although you wouldn't know it if you've never seen the movie. But also, it's a horror movie now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, as Jeff said. But I mean, this this right. captures it. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Robert Paulson. That's the guy who dies in the movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cute. Uh, that one's decent. Yeah. Yeah, I like his color choices. I like the, the, the idea to make it in the, the color scheme of the soap and keep it in that sort of like light pink sort of haze over the whole thing. It's, it's, uh, and then the last scene of the movie. Yeah. You know. Kind of an iconic last moment. Also. Yeah. And then uh, next is Stephen Camo. Uh, is that supposed to be Brad Pitt in his head? Peeking yeah. through, yes. Doesn't really look like Brad Pitt, does? Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, these these are just these are just filtered uh, photographs. Yeah, I, mean, I know. Just... There was there wasn't a lot of illustration work done here. Okay. Uh, next is uh, the first image we have from Tibor Lovas. I like this one. I actually like both of his. Yeah, images. that works. I mean, Not you can't read the put up in the subways. <laughs> no, you can't read yeah. the movie title, but right, you know. a big problem there. <laughs> yeah, you know. it's, it's a you know, fidget, and, and that's fibbit, the thing. Fibbit crib. fit fit cub um so so and here's the thing about the alt poster stuff and i know you guys can do complain about uh uh, or do i shouldn't say complain i should say comment on that kind of stuff uh previously uh you know i mean listen the the alt poster industry isn't built on you know on the selling of a film you know it's built on a love of a film not selling of it so they don't they don't have to adhere to those rules they don't have to be you know, quite so succinct in getting the name fully there or getting the ideas of the themes of the movie fully across. It's more about a visual interpretation of a film and what it does and what it says to them. Um, so that's how, you know, and, and you know, you know, the, it's hard to judge these on the merits of being a good movie poster, as opposed to just being a good fan representation of the film itself. Sure. sure. Uh, so the next one is another piece by Tibor Lovas. I want a name like Tibor Lobos. <laughs> Kicks ass. And then our yeah, last okay. our last piece is uh by Voloshevsky Art. Okay. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> it's cute. You gotta admit it's cute. Yeah. <laughs> right. okay. Nicely. Nicely handled, and you know what? It fits right in that in that in that Polish uh, classic Polish yes. uh, film film poster uh, aesthetic. <laughs> that is correct. Oh my God, <laughs> uh, guys, something that's interesting to me uh, that I I, I was going to mention before, uh, yeah. and this is an opportunity. Uh, a few of the posters uh, hearken to 
the belief, the theory, I guess, the interpretation that Fight Club is a kind of film noir. Uh, think about uh, a film noir and Fight Club. Uh, film noir was a, a genre of movie that basically ran from 1945 to the late 1950s and had to do with post-World War II anxiety, particularly male uh, anxiety. Uh, we, we had a lot of men uh, coming home from the war. Uh, women were much stronger because they stayed home and actually had to go to work. Um, and, and so uh, uh, men were disconcerted. And in film noir, uh, uh, women became kind of these bitch goddesses, uh, uh, <laughs> these, uh, 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 women who were both alluring but powerful and potentially deadly. And, um, uh, and they often uh, involved uh, things like love triangles, um, uh, uh, maze-like uh, or labyrinthine uh, plots, uh, a, a crime and crime capers, and, um, and here you have Fight Club, which is kind of remixing all, all of that. Uh, we, we had a growing anxiety, clearly, uh, among these um, a kind of incel types uh, who were uh, uh, becoming more and more upset about the power of women. You, you have this triangle that remixes things so that the love affair is both between, well, it's between all three yeah. uh, for right. each other. Uh, in some ways, including between Tyler and the narrator. Uh, there are a number of illusions, the kiss on the hand and, and things like that. Uh, uh, he broke my heart, uh, uh, he says toward the end, the narrator about yeah. uh, Tyler's uh, betrayal of him um, and, and, and so forth. And, uh, and of course, um, uh, the, the key in film noir is that the, uh, the, the, the romantic, the sexual relationship also is the thing that kind of brings everything down, uh, uh, sends it all crashing. And, uh, and of course, we have this in, uh, in, in Fight Club. Uh, right. So I think there's an argument for um, uh, a Fight Club as film noir. And it's interesting to me that some of these uh, artists in these posters uh, take these kind of noir-like elements, the cigarette, the swirling cigarette smoke, um, uh, some of the, uh, right. the more... That uh, black and white one by Kat Zumori, especially. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, the the layered images and uh, and strange shapes, uh, all uh, alluding to um, uh, this kind of tangled uh, kind of uh, psychology. Um, so normally uh, we would do a segment here, Jeff, called the Martini, where we discuss uh, where Fight Club ranks in the in sort of the the pantheon of David Fincher's work. Uh, having having covered a Fincher film before, uh, we have kind of, I shouldn't say, we have extensive coverage that we've done of him already, but we mm -hmm. have. Um, we sort of have a, a rough idea of his his films and kind of where they lay out for us. Um, as far as this goes, what where, where, where does your, your top two or three uh, Fincher films? Uh, for me... Um, uh, well, uh, you, you know my bias about, uh, about Fight Club. Well, clearly. <laughs> uh, he is a, a consummate director. There's no uh, doubt about it. But there are a, a few of the films uh, didn't hit me in, in quite the same way. So, for example, I, I thought his Alien 3, um, you know, was pretty thankless. <laughs> um, you know, just in terms of... of 
of what he had to to work with there. Uh, the movie he never talks about. There you right? go. You can't, yeah. you can't get him to quote or comment about that movie. Sure. Uh, you know, obviously, Seven is is a, yeah. a pretty near masterpiece. Uh, I, I liked Zodiac. Uh, not so much The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I, I, maybe I should revisit it. Uh, the the social network to be a little bit uh, like um, like the the recent rock and roll uh, biopics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I still yeah. stand by my statement about social network that uh, that him and Eric him and Aaron Sorkin managed to make a two hour film about a subject nobody gives a shit about worth watching. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I'll, I'm with you there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, that's about it as far as I'm concerned. Yep. It's the only movie that you'll ever see Spider-Man being best friends with Lex Luthor, though. I mean, this is that's important. It's <laughs> very important. Very true. <laughs> well, Jeff, uh, thanks. This has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. Well, thank you guys. Um, uh, uh, I love the podcast. I listen to uh, every episode, so I'm still catching wow. up with thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate um, that. Uh, it's it's fantastic. And um, uh, maybe one day I'll I'll come on back and torture you some more. Please, absolutely, do, please. We, we would love to have you. Please do. All right. So thanks to Jeff. Thank you very much. Thanks to Purple Planet Music. Get your own awesome music at purple-planet.com. Please check out our website at cinementalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss on our Down the Tube segments. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Cinemental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Or you can always listen to new episodes at cinementalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at Cinemental Pod. For Hassan Godwin, Latham Conger III, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend, mentor, and horse trainer, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Boing. <laughs>